Welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, where you'll get actionable tips and advice on major gifts, direct response fundraising, legacy giving, and much more from leading experts in the nonprofit sector. Now, here are your hosts of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, Andrew Olson and Roy Jones. Hey, welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, sponsored exclusively by Newport One. This is Andrew Olson, and I'm here with my co-host, Roy Jones. Roy, welcome. Hey, good to be with you. Glad you're here, man. We're uh, in for a treat today. So we're, we're here today with Betsy Taylor, the president of Accordant Philanthropy. And I'm so eager to talk to, to Betsy and jump into this conversation because we're going to talk today about the role of leadership in philanthropy and the impact that it makes. And uh, there's nobody better to have that conversation with than Betsy. Betsy, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. Hey, so grateful for you to uh, share your wisdom and your time with us. Before we get into to any deep questions, could you take a minute to tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about Accordant? Sure, absolutely. So I've been working in healthcare philanthropy for about 25 years now. I'm passionate about moving this field forward, not just for healthcare, but for philanthropy in general. I believe we've got a noble mission to fulfill, and I think that means we've got to always bring our best to everything we're doing. Accordant works exclusively with healthcare organizations in the United States and Europe in raising money for hospitals, academic medicine programs, schools of medicine, and similar. Awesome. Thank you. So let's jump right into it. The first question I want uh, to get your perspective on is, you know, when we talk about leadership and in philanthropy particularly, I suspect a lot of people that listen think immediately of like a chief development officer, development director. But I think you mean something differently when you talk about leadership in philanthropy. Would you agree? Sure, I do. I think I see it um, as being expansive and beyond just the chief philanthropy officer. Tell us more about that. Sure. So, you know, I guess where I started was so many programs that I talked to say they didn't get access to the information they needed, the resources they needed, the allies they needed. And so I felt like part of what we needed to be doing as leaders in philanthropy was managing up and engaging the leaders who were the chief executive officers of our organizations and the governing board members of our organizations in healthcare, also our clinicians. I also see though within the ranks of our philanthropy organization, we have a lot of directors of development and major gift officers and others who have influence and who have the capacity to lead. So I've tried to take a more holistic approach to leadership in terms of how we are positioning ourselves, um, how we're deploying the influence we have, how we're engaging the stakeholders around us. It really is about building culture, isn't it, Betsy? It is indeed. And, you know, for so many people, if your chief executive officer does not believe in what you do, good luck to you. It is very hard to push that rock uphill. And so I felt like sometimes we needed to look outside our own offices and look at the people who are down the hallway in the C-suite. So that's, that's a really important point right there. And it, it actually leads right into my next question. You know, one of the things that Roy and I have seen, you know, we've spent a lot more time on the social service side and, and international relief and development, some other places, not as much in healthcare, but I, I suspect it might be true for, for all. You know, we've been in organizations where the prevailing logic is, well, we hired a development person and it's their job to do development, right? And I don't do that because I'm doing the real work. How does an organization overcome that cultural challenge? Absolutely. You know, what I find myself saying to a lot of chief executive officers is any donor who is going to give you a significant gift wants to see the whites of your eyeballs. Um, they want to have a relationship with you. They want to hear your vision. 
They want to know that you are trustworthy. They want to know that you are authentic. They want to know that you're going to execute. And so the engagement of leadership, just to affirm that we are the right place for them to deploy the good they have in mind, to me is essential. So certainly we have opportunities there to engage our leadership in the work we're doing. And that extends to our governing board and our foundation board members as well. Since I'm the color commentator, I got I to gotta jump on this. <laughs> You know, she talks about seeing the whites of their eyes. You know, these, these larger donors, the whites that they send us, we call it white mail in our industry. You know, we send them a pre-printed reply envelope, but because they want the chief executive officer to respond, they go to the trouble to go to the post office, get stamps, find their own stationery, and mail their own donation in, in their own envelope because of what you just said, Betsy. They want the chief executive. They want the leadership in the C-suite to pay attention to that gift. Absolutely, and I get that. You know, they're, they're not just investing in our mission, they're investing in the vision of that person. And they need to know that that person has the right vision and the right ambition. And so we should be working to foster those relationships. You know, with that, just to throw in, you know, CEOs will often say, you know, I'm terrified to go out there on my own. What I've said to them over and over again is, you never have to have the words, will you consider a gift in the range of X come out of your mouth? Instead, right. talk about what you believe in, talk about what you care about, talk about how this organization is going to fulfill its mission. Because going back to what Andrew said a minute ago, great philanthropy is an everyone endeavor. It is not down to a few people who happen to be sitting in the fund development office. It is about every person that that donor interacts with on our front line to our C-suite who is talking about who we are, demonstrating the culture beliefs that we hold, and giving people confidence to participate with us or not. That's the meme of the day right there. I'm, I, I am, I'll give you attribution. That's going on Facebook when we get done here. All right, I'll take it. <laughs> Philanthropy is an everyone responsibility. Absolutely. I, I think AFP ought to have a tattoo booth with that at their conferences. <laughs> so I, I'm curious, and, and maybe this is a misplaced assumption, Betsy, but you know, when I think about a homeless shelter or a Boys and Girls Club or something like that, pretty much are 100% reliant on philanthropy. It, mm -hmm. I, it feels like they might be quicker to act because there's a greater need. Do you see in healthcare that um, because there is a different and significant revenue source in, in patients and insurers, it is, is it harder to get C-suite executives to adopt a, a philanthropic mindset? Or, or is that something that you kind of see as a challenge across the board? I definitely see it as a challenge. And it's crazy to me that Every CEO knows that they have a not-for-profit status as a charitable organization, but they sometimes act like they're a business. And they will say, we have a revenue source, we have money coming in, and there's almost a point at which they don't embrace that they're a mission and don't feel they're entitled to ask people to participate in their noble work. So some of them are frankly to a point that they're having to get past that. The median operating margin in hospitals today today is 2%. Did you say 2%? Um, 2%. Ouch. Ouch. So if you truly have a compelling and audacious vision, good luck funding that with the 2% that you're getting. You're using that to replace things, to 
clean things up, to keep your, your plant in order, you're not pursuing your vision of potential and, and enabling competitive advantage on a 2% operating margin. So yeah. I think whether you're in hospitals or universities or social service organizations, um, you need to realize that philanthropy can be a critical revenue source to power your best plans. Absolutely. So tell me this, how do we go from understanding that cognitively to, to acting on it? Like what are some of the best ways that you've found to engage C-suite leaders in philanthropy? Absolutely. I think the first one is very simplistic. Speak their language. I talk to so many CEOs who think that they'll say my philanthropy executive tells me there's an art and science to fundraising. And I say, you know, yes, there are both, but you know what? Fundraising is built on best practices and metrics and benchmarks and known deliberate proactive processes. Don't act like this is just fairy dust that we go out there and sprinkle. I think we also need to quit talking about cost per dollar raise. Our executives talk about return on investment. And so we need to utilize the same terminology that they use to be taken seriously. Um, I just think we've got to make sure that philanthropy is not seen as a decorative social endeavor, but is seen as a management process that is thoughtfully and proactively and respectfully deployed to invite people to be part of our work. Mm -hmm. That's deep. I like that. And, and I think, Roy, there's another meme somewhere in there about fundra fundraising fairy dust. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, speaking of fairy dust, I, I do, I have a vested interest here. Now, of course, I, I support a, a hospital ship that floats on the water. But one of the things that we do is recruit physicians, doctors, nurses, medical professionals to come work on our ship. We really have not done a great job at getting them to also become donors. It's interesting yes. with your background in, in fundraising. Talk to me about uh, physicians and medical professionals and how involved philanthropically they can be. Absolutely. So I'm going to give you a totally counterintuitive answer. <laughs> People will often say we're not sure if we should engage that physician in our work because he or she does not give. And what I tell leaders all the time is don't focus on whether they are giving now, engage them in our work, because if we can expose them to the joy of altruism and giving, they will come around. When they can see the impact and the ability that giving has to affect change, they will catch on fire for it themselves. But I think so often with our physicians, especially in hospitals, we presume that they would be compelled to give. And we don't ever say to them, what do you believe in? What do you care about? What do you value? What did, do you want to make in the universe? And so I think we need to do the same thing we do with any other major gift donor. Um, find out what they care about. Give them opportunities to ignite their passion and um, engage them. Good. Very good. It's about them, not us, right? It is. It's always about the donor. When we start talking about us, 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 we know we're in trouble because it is never about us. I say to leaders all the time, people don't give to us, they give through us. They give to a check, affect change. They give to touch people's lives. They don't give to an institution. <laughs> That's powerful. So I want to talk a little bit about board relationships. We see oftentimes that you know, boards might appear reluctant to engage deeply in philanthropy. But then at the same time, there's often a misconception about how, uh, you know, sort of an unrealistic expectation about how fast philanthropy can result in dollars, especially yeah. significant dollars. 
what is it that you think organizations are, are doing wrong or could do better in the way that they bring their board along in that conversation and also in how we set expectations for you know what that growth potential from a timing perspective also looks like absolutely oh i could i could go on for hours about this i thing. know that's why i asked I <laughs> so i think we set ourselves up for failure when the first question we ask is how will we get our board to raise money mm. you know I, there was a statistic that i read that said 85 percent of people do not think they have the capability to raise money it's outside their comfort zone it's not what they want to do they're afraid of being set up for failure so i think the first thing we need to do is recognize that we're trying to engage them in a continuum of activity that it's everything from identifying people who care about us and have affinity to telling stories and engaging and advocating for our organizations, asking good questions around what they want to do. Um, yes, there's a moment in which we ask, but then there's a whole lot after that around stewardship and sharing impact. And so I think with board members, part of what we need to do is not see them as a cookie cutter of a bunch of people who believe and care about the same thing, but instead say, how do you want to be engaged? How could you be effective? What tools and resources do you need? Because I find there are a lot of folks who would be reticent to sit down and ask for money, but they would open a hundred doors for you. And opening a hundred doors is critical to our mission because if we can't open a door, we will never have a real conversation with someone. So I think it's first just tailoring to how they want to be engaged and fulfill their own purpose. And then I think you're right as well. They need to understand that it's not likely that they're going to walk in and say, will you consider giving a gift to my organization today? And someone says, yes. Um, they need to get to know us. They need to see how we behave. They need to see if we fulfill our promises. They need to see if we're the type of organization they really want to be engaged with. And so getting to really know someone takes time and i think we should give the donors that we talk to the grace to recognize that the timeline should be there because they're the ones who need to satisfy their needs for information and their needs for feeling comfortable with us and so if we can just respect the donors timeline i think that it puts it in a different perspective so i, I want to go back to something you said i think those are great points you talked about getting to know each board member individually understanding their personal goals and their desires and how they see themselves fitting in. And I have two, two questions about that. First of all, I've been in plenty of boardrooms where there was never a development officer present in those mm -hmm. conversations. And, and even some where, you know, some of my clients even will say, Oh yeah, the, our CEO doesn't allow us to talk to the board. Right? So question number one is how do we go about changing that culture? And question yes. number two is, with respect to, you know, kind of facilitating that conversation, that too feels like a much longer process than I think most development shops are, are comfortable with because we're, we're so many of us are in the mode of like, well, how do I ask right now for a gift right now? Talk us through some perspective on that. Absolutely. So I think it all kind of goes back to even that executive leadership engagement. 
Um, what I found over and over again was people said exactly what you just said. I'm not allowed access to the governing board. I'm not allowed to have relationships or to ask them to be part of our work. And that to me said the executive leader did not understand um, what our role was, but they also maybe thought our role was a little bit embarrassing. They thought we were arm twisting. They didn't realize this was um, a joyful, altruistic endeavor. They saw us as taking people somewhere they didn't want to go. And so to gain access to those board members in that boardroom, I think you first have to change the mind of the executive. Um, so engaging them then gives you access to the others. And then, you know, the timeline again is always fluid. We need to talk about um, what the timeline of donors is going to be, even relative to there's so many times that executive leadership is thinking about their budget year or their capital budget or when they're going to stick a shovel in the ground. And we need to realize that our timeline is not always their timeline. Mm. And if we truly wish to engage with people as partners and stand shoulder to shoulder together, we're going to look at how we can craft a shared vision on a shared timeline. It's about them, not us. <laughs> It is. <laughs> I think I heard somebody say that a few minutes ago. <laughs> Betsy, I'm, I'm curious to get your perspective on how, how you think we uh, as a sector are doing at building up the sort of the next generation of leaders and what we might need to do differently or better to position our organizations for success over the next couple of decades. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think what breaks my heart the most when we look at leadership in our sector is how often we see someone who is, for example, an excellent major gift officer hmm. suddenly thrust into a leadership role as a chief philanthropy officer with no preparation to be at that table. They were great at going and talking to people about being engaged, but they don't know how to build a strategy or to influence leadership or to um, talk about how the financial statement. And so I think sometimes we have failed our leaders by pushing them into positions without giving them the support and training that they need to go and be successful. And I think that's in part why we see so much turnover in our industry um, that we do put people in positions that they're not yet ready for. And we, we, our, our colleagues deserve more care in keeping than that. So right on. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, I had a, a meeting with a board member uh, and, and we've kind of gone through a transition in this respect too, but uh, you know, he was concerned that prior to me sitting down with them, that no one from the executive team had asked him for a gift in the past few years. And, and he said, you know, if you don't ask, I'm not going to give and I'm on the board. And I just thought that was very, very, very revealing about, about their heart. Yeah. They support us. Yeah. They, they, you know, they go to meetings in our case, four times a year. One of those meetings, they, they fly halfway across the world to Africa for one of those meetings, but you know, he wasn't going to write a check unless he was asked. And uh, so often we think that uh, people don't want to be asked. The people that have great capacity, they do want to be asked. They do want to ha have input into the process. And, you know, this whole piece about board governance and involving them in, in this, in, in the culture of philanthropy, in, in the, in, and it truly is, I call it a ministry. You know, we honor people by how much we ask for, what we ask for, and specifically if we can find their passion first so that we can make the ask about something they have a heart for. And, yes. And, uh, I just think, Betsy, you're, you're, you're just right on the mark here, uh, especially with, with these board governance comments. It's, it's something the whole industry needs. Thank you. 
it's pretty amazing work. I think it's worth the effort. And I think we have a lot of work to do as a sector in talking to leaders, whether they're executives or board members in hospitals, clinicians, we've got a lot of work to do. And I think that in some part with that as well, we need to give ourselves a promotion. We need to realize that we're people who have important solutions, who can add significant value. Um, our profession is noble. Um, I never want to hear someone say to me, I don't know how you raise money. How often do we hear that? And I think all the um, time, all the time. And we need to let people know that what we do is, is magic and amazing. And we work with um, people who want to really affect change. And boy, I can't think of a better job than that. So let's embrace that and let other people see the opportunity to be part of those conversations. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I, I'd much rather have somebody say, how do you sell beer and cars all day? Right? Yeah. In my mind, that's a lot easier of a question than how do you raise money for this great cause? We, yes. ought to be, we have to be proud of it, right? Yes. Uh, and, but you're right. So often, you know, it feels like when someone, when I meet someone who works in the field, even when they're talking to somebody like me, they're almost apologetic mm -hmm. when they describe their role, you know? Yes. Um, or, or like they're, they've got a, you know, hush tones, like they're, like they're a drug dealer or something. Yes. <laughs> you know? yes. Oh, I'm always amazed at the, at the unique job descriptions we come up with in the development and philanthropic world to try and hide from people that, that, uh, you know, that we're in, in the money business, but <laughs> they know why we're there. Uh, Absolutely. You know, the though, titles that, we give ourselves. <laughs> I do wish we would change some of our titles though. I, I wish we would quit calling ourselves major gift officers and instead talking about being philanthropic gift advisors. You know, I think that we do have titles that sound I like that. story in nature. And um, we have an opportunity to elevate our own profession by changing the, some of the semantics. You know, with that, the other thing I say to boards all the time that I vehemently agree in, I say to them, put up the tin cup. This is not about fundraising. This is not transactional. This is not about somebody giving a gift and us thanking them and them all moving on. This is about philanthropy. And philanthropy is not about gift size. It is about values and intention and shared purpose. And people wanna be part of philanthropy. People wanna be part of efforts that are bigger than themselves. And that is beautiful work. Mm. You know, Roy was actually telling a story about this recently, I think it's just a couple weeks ago now, about a donor he had been cultivating who said, you know, I, I don't, I, I'm going to butcher this Roy, but basically said, I don't know if I want to give to you right now, because if I give, then I'm afraid I'm not going to hear from you again. Mm. Right? And I think wow. that speaks so much, so much volumes to what people's experience are with fundraisers in our sector, you know? Yes. And I mean, there's a lot of bad actors out there that are, you know, it depends how you look at it. I mean, I mean, you know, I've, I've taken it as a, as a challenge uh, to show donors specifically what a real fundraising and development officers should should feel and, and, and do and act. And, uh, and they've, so many have just been beat up just by people twisting their arms, treating them like an ATM machine. And yes. find somebody that really sits down with them and, and finds out what their passion is, finds out where their heart is, finds out what they want to do. And then, as you said, becoming their advisor on how you can do that on the inside of our organization. Man, that's fun. It is. And I love that title. It, it, uh, 
I think it puts, it brings parity to the conversation between someone who's having a conversation with like their financial advisor on how to spend their money elsewhere, right? To also, how do they spend it philanthropically? I think that's a much smarter place for us to be. Thank you. Well, you can help me try and get people to change their titles. One of my missions. We got to catalog all the titles first. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we do. That's a whole other problem. That's a whole other podcast. Well, Betsy, we're just about out of time. I'm so grateful that you were here. Love the conversation that we just had. If somebody wants to get in touch with you, wants to learn more about Accordant Philanthropy or or talk to you about your thoughts, how do they reach you? Betsy at AccordantPhilanthropy.com. And I always love the conversation. I'd be delighted for anybody to reach out. And I'd also love to share any information that I can about just the joy of giving and the power of gratitude and purpose. I'd, I'd love to be part of the conversation. Awesome. Well, maybe we'll have to have you back for a conversation about gratitude. That'd be great. Let's do it. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you again. Thank Thank you. you. Great to be with you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, brought to you exclusively by Newport One. Newport One can make a difference in your fundraising so that you can change the world. You can always reach us at podcast at newportone.com. Please take a moment to rate this episode on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. When you rate this episode, It will help more nonprofit leaders just like you to help find us and get the information that they need to raise more funds for their organization. Thanks again for listening today.